Hi everyone and welcome to The Author's Journey, bringing you stories of authors in our community. Today I'm very pleased to have with me Leslie Harmon, who comes to us with various stories that she has to share. She is a sociologist, she's a peace activist, um, she is someone who works for social justice and has uh, written many books across many genres for over 35 years. And so I'm very thrilled to have her with me today to have a conversation specifically around her work and personal transformation, which is one of the areas that she writes about. So Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Moni. <laughs> it's a delight. Thank you. Well, you know, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, tell me how you embarked on this journey with the written word. Yeah, well, the first thing that happened in my life that really, I think, signif signified this part of me was my kindergarten teacher <laughs> gave me a prize. And it said, Leslie Harmon gets the prize for best talker. Best talker. <laughs> Which was code for you can't shut her up. Right. <laughs> I love that. And, um, and I did become a storyteller. I, I yeah. like to tell stories. And then in grade two was also pivotal when I was told by my grade two teacher, I wrote a composition for grade two. I didn't compositions in grade two normally kids just write a few words <laughs> uh, Ooh, no five no? pages five and, pages and she wrote a comment at the end and she said leslie never stop writing okay and of course when you're in grade two you don't really take that to heart but my mother did and yeah. she said leslie pay attention to your teacher and i that's a really important message because yeah. i got into education myself i've been an educator okay. professionally and i do believe Especially now, actually, yeah. with, with the information society that we live in, mm -hmm. that we are losing among our children, yeah. this new generation, we're losing the joy of writing and reading and creating. Yeah. In fact, the imagination is so constrained yeah. by our digital age. Yeah. Um, they don't even teach cursive writing in school anymore. I know. I and am. so for me, a, a message that I've, I feel very strongly I would like to convey is that your teachers from early on can provide you with resources yeah. to follow your dreams. And if you're a writer, sometimes it helps to have support from the people around you, influential yes. others who will say yeah you're on a good track yeah and you know I think what you say is so is so important because you're right you know our daughter we lived in Spain for seven years and our daughter's first education was in Spain and so at the age of five she actually was learning how to write cursive and she this is something that in that system over there still um, they value the ability to write so when she came here she was already able to read to write in cursive and she was already obviously a good a good reader but that's that kind of got Gotten broken out of her because nobody understood her cursive. Her teachers did, but the I student know. didn't understand her cursive. And so she's slowly gotten back into writing, um, you know, I guess it's called block letters, like letter Print. by letter printing, essentially. But we insist on the cursive. And so we insist that, that she continue that because it's, for me anyways, part of part of language, part of expression, part of expressing your creativity because that all is, is an element of it. Yeah. Part of literacy. A part of literacy, exactly. And I mean, how are you going to have a signature? Right. I, right. Practical things <laughs> as well. I know. 
And so I, um, I also should say that a, a big part of my life was yes. my upbringing as a diplomatic brat. Yes. And I um, cherish that very much now, but as a child, it was challenging. It had its ups and downs. Yeah. We moved every two or three years and mm. to all kinds of places, which, um, well, I'm 61 years old now, so as a child, I was in kind of like the pre-global society where okay. if you traveled a lot to exotic places, it was not normal. And um, so I was a, a bit of an oddball, and uh, I took to writing poetry as a way of dealing with my travels. And I also developed um, a rather pre-sociological perception of the world by mm. going to different cultures from a Canadian lens. Yes. And learning about uh, different ways that people live. Yes. But was it something um, where you, did you find that your travels brought brought you out in the sense of you were out and ready to explore and to write about what you were exploring, or were you more more inward looking, trying to interpret what was happening around you? Because that that really frames your lens. That really frames how you're going to be writing. I find. It's changed. Yeah. Um, I think as a very a vulnerable and impressionable teenager yeah. seeing the world and a lot of social injustice that I was uh, shielded from as a child, right. I, it affected me and it made me a sociologist. Yeah. So I was looking out but also going inward to process things that I didn't understand and yeah. I'm very grateful that I had the ability to write because journaling, poetry, reflective notes have a way of being like an ongoing record of my life. Of course. And then, of course, when you move on, I wrote my first book of poems when I was 15. That was kind of fun. But then you have to start thinking, well, one of these days I'm going to have to make an, a living. And yes. How do you make a living <laughs> yeah, out yes. of writing poetry? Yes. Unless you're Margaret Atwood. <laughs> and so I, uh, I decided to become um, a sociologist and I got my PhD yes and, and that influenced my um, my background influenced my research as well because my my interest in sociology was the topic of the stranger. I, I love that and I, and I do re remember kind of going, you telling me about the book and going through uh, generally what it's about, but I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that because I think that informs a little bit more of what you later write about as well. So can you tell me a little bit about the stranger? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, in sociology we have archetypes yes. that, as in, in many traditions, yes. and um, the stranger is definitely one of our, our big ones because we talk about groups yes. and um, I've always been on the margins. So I've, hmm. I learned from a very early age to see the world from the margins, not from the center. Interesting. So do you identify with the stranger archetype as somebody Absolutely. who's from the outside looking in? Absolutely. What benefits does that give you, do you think, oh, as I a love stranger? Oh, question. Yeah. Uh, well, ease of moving from setting to setting. I've okay. never had any problem with being shy or <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, I just look around and fit in. Um, also, it gave me skills that I brought to sociology to uh, approach people confidently yeah. to understand their lives and to be able to, I think, learn and grow in a non-judgmental way. 
uh, and then to become a pilgrim. Well, I want to talk about that because yeah. that's uh, you know that that's something because you've moved from um, from you're still a sociologist, obviously yeah. that's not something that leaves you. Um, you became a, a tenured professor, is that correct? Yes. At uh, King's University College out uh, out in London, um, you've taught sociology. I take that. Is that right? Yes. So you've come from the world of academics, you've come from the world of um, research, which I, has its own language, which is structured in its own way, and I would imagine it's quite structured. You're working within certain limitations. And you've moved into the world of pilgrimage, which is about as ancient as you can get and as free-flowing as you can get. So I'm quite interested in that journey of yours from academia into pilgrimage. What called you, what called you to, to pilgrimage? and to make that change? That's a big one. Yeah. Um, you're right. I do see it as a big full circle in some ways. And um, the, the piece where I became a pilgrim was, as you know, when do you become a pilgrim? I don't know. When did you become a pilgrim? Uh, long <laughs> before I thought of walking the Camino. Aha. Uh -huh. In fact, I think other than stranger, pilgrim is my other big archetype that I embody. And they're very similar. Yes. You Describe can be a stranger. Yeah, well, you can be a stranger without being a pilgrim. You can't be a pilgrim without being a stranger. Hmm. But the interesting thing about being a pilgrim stranger, and this is what I wrote about in this book, was you're not really a stranger on the Camino. When a bunch of strangers get together with a common purpose, yes. they become a group. And I found, uh, without even expecting it, that I, I, I described in this book that I, I had my um, sociological imagination sitting on top of my backpack yes. <laughs> as I walked the Camino. Yes. And I started looking around because um, part of my methodology that I use sociologically is called autoethnography. Which means? Which means that we, we write about the world from our own standpoint and generally speaking about things we know quite well. Yeah. And I've, I've written about all of my work, all of my research has um, required a certain amount of expertise prior to going into the field. Mm -hmm. And this was no exception. Um, so I did some research on pilgrimage, but I also went open to what might come okay. and found myself uh, absolutely drawn into the experience and almost in a, uh, a way of, of having two perspectives, one mm. as actually walking the pilgrimage, but also my little sociological imagination on my backpack. And um, it was fun because I walk alone. I'm a solo woman walking yes. alone on yes. all my pilgrimages. However, uh, we tend to meet people, and I met six different social workers on my oh, first Camino. Right? <laughs> this is 2008, and everyone spoke English, but they were wow. from all over the world. Wow. And we had so much fun because, well, being a sociologist, I'm sort of a foot in the world of social work. We share of a lot course. of the same of course. Um, meanings and understandings, but uh, different. Um, but they all understand the healing properties of pilgrimage and walking 
Mm -hmm. and, and now we have uh, expanded these understandings clinically to include walk and talk therapy. Yes. And various yes. usage of the very movement that we use on pilgrimage to yes. actually do um, some real transformative work, including labyrinth walking and that sort of thing. Um, so uh, my whole world was opened up dramatically by that first Camino in 2008. Yes. Well, you know, um, I, I too, I'm a, I'm a pilgrim. It's how we've, you know, we got to know each other through that world. And uh, what you talk about carrying, um, you're bringing all, a lot of extra weight, emotional weight. Um, you're bringing mental, your thoughts, your beliefs, all of that is added weight. And that is a part of what you're carrying with you. And part of pilgrimage is learning to kind of lay some of that down so that you can be more open, as you're saying, and a little bit more receptive. And we're gonna, we're gonna explore that a little bit more, but we need to go to a quick break right now. Uh, please stay tuned, everyone, as we continue our fascinating conversation with Leslie Harmon. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to The Author's Journey, where I'm continuing my conversation with Leslie Harmon, who is uh, a sociologist, who is an author, speaking about many topics. And one of the topics we were just finishing, or just uh, talking about before going to break, was this idea of pilgrimage. And one of the questions that I want, because you are a pilgrim, and you identify yourself as uh, as a pilgrim as well, in the archetypal sense of the word, being a pilgrim. But what does pilgrimage mean to you? What does it mean to you? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I feel that there's bottom line about how I want to live my life. And it's not always easy to okay. achieve, but it's my goal okay. to be fully present always. And it's a full-time job to be yes, fully it present. Is. Oh, yes. <laughs> but when I learned the value of that, yeah. um, significantly was my first Camino in 2008 when I actually walked for the 30 days 80% of the time alone in silence and learned fully what it meant to be present like you see every single blade of grass you hear every little bird chirping on every fence post especially the ones that follow you and yes. the companions yes. the dogs that follow uh, I realized this is the way I want to live my life yeah. and so it, it, to be a pilgrim to me means to value above all being fully present it, it makes a lot of other things fall away the value of other things falls yes. away but it enables me yeah to be an author. I, I like that because I, I really, I do believe that um, writing or creation of any kind, um, for it to be able to flow through you unimpeded really is something that is an act of presence. You must be present in who you are. You must be, in, in, my, in, in how I write as well, just be open to how whatever words need to flow, flow through you in that moment. And presence is a great, um, 
practice and a great quality to cultivate as a storyteller and as an author. Yeah. And we have to get out of our own way. And I, I as a scholar, I yeah. know <laughs> we have many traits that serve yes. us in the field of scholarship. Yes. But it's not helpful in other parts of life. Overthinking. Yes, absolutely. Overthinking. Yep. And I've recently learned this little motto, a mantra almost, to get out of my head. And I, I practice this all the time. It's helping a lot, mindful meditation. Yes. Because it reminds me of being on the Camino. And so then I learned you don't have to be on a pilgrimage yes. to be a pilgrim. Yeah. You don't have to be on a pilgrimage that somebody else defines as a legitimate religious pilgrimage right. or spiritual pilgrimage. For me, being in the moment is my spirituality. It makes everything possible. Yeah. I love it. I really, I love your definition of that. And I can't think of a, of a more perfect uh, definition of what the journey truly is about. Because, you know, you go on pilgrimage, you're going on a, some kind of a journey, but the, the journey doesn't end. It's not, the journey isn't just there. It doesn't end at the sacred destination. It is part of who you are. And truly, it is about bringing whatever it is that this pilgrimage allows you to enhance in yourself to bring it here and live it in your, every, in your everyday life. So I, you know, I think that's, that's a wonderful definition and presence as part of your practice in writing and meditation. Because I also meditate before I, I, before I write as well. And I find like you, it allows, it just allows the words to flow a lot more smoothly and everything just, uh, it just, there's a better connection, you know? Yeah. What do you find you're connecting with? What do you believe you're connecting with when you're <laughs> in presence? when you're at present, because this is also part of, I think, the title of your book, you know, that we are never alone. So I want you to touch on that. What are you, what are you connecting with? Well, I have to say that writing for me is a very spiritual experience. It's very mystical. Mm. Um, I have trouble calling myself the author <laughs> of a work. Yes, how so? Well, because when I'm in that zone of being fully present, I'm not attached to a lot of other things. Um, it's very nice to feel that's where I'm least attached to my ego. That's where I'm least attached to the outcome. And all of those are the ways in which we say, I wrote that, or I've done this. And when I get into that moment, the present moment of allowing whatever's going to come forth to come forth, I move over. I'm a conduit. Yes. And I'm, I'm unwilling to say where it's coming from because who knows. Yeah. But I, it's a sacred place. It's a safe place. I feel like I, I'm, my ideas are not mine, but we're all working on this together. Yeah. Uh, voices from the past, my teachers, dead and alive, the, um, the muses. Yes. My inner muses. Yes. Um, but I really try to get out of the way of all of those voices. And so collectively, and also when I um, think of an audience, yeah. you know, that's something that occasionally I do, but I tend not to think of audience when I'm first writing because I want me to write uninhibited at first. Yes. And then you, you play around with things. Yes. Well, how do you know that you're in that place? 
how do you know that you're in that place of when you're being the conduit, as you describe it, and not, you know, Leslie the professor, Leslie the sociologist, who is writing for a particular audience? How do you know you're there? Because these ideas just come. And uh, I know well enough now that I better yes. write it down. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, a really good tip for aspiring authors. Yes. Because I, even though I have an excellent memory, I'll think of something, a flash, an idea, and then I'll be driving and something like that. What I really should do is pull over, get out the notebook I keep in my purse, and yes. just jot it down, even two <laughs> words. And this is what you learn from being a, a participant observer, which is what I do in sociology. Yes. You think you're going to remember things, and personally, I, I don't always. Yeah. So I have all over my house, everywhere, those little <laughs> post-it notes. and I get an idea, write it down. And I have on my wall above my desk, I stick them up on the wall. And I look at them sometimes, but it's, it's like a bank of ideas. And when I'm ready, I look at my bank. Um, but I, I think it's really important for me not to have structure. I have, mm -hmm. I don't have a time or a place where I write, I, you have to sit at this desk at right. nine o'clock in the morning till three, and then you can have fun. No, that's painful. <laughs> yeah. I go, when yeah. it moves me. Yes. And that is, I think, very spontaneous and it's a luxury I have. Yes. Because yep. not everyone can just drop everything and write. Yeah, I agree because you know there, I've had um, authors here who will say that they are, they have it's a discipline and so they have their their writing time and it's a structured time and they force themselves every single day to write so many hours a day or so many words a day and I, and I, I see the benefit of that but I tend to lean more towards the unstructured part because that's where all the for me like you the creativity just flows I don't even have to think about it and it could be the middle of the night and like you I have a, a piece of paper <laughs> beside my bed. And if a thought hits me in the middle of the night, I'll get up and I will just write it down. You know, so I think there is there is benefits to both, and I think each individual has to really tap into what works best for them and how that creative element is going to flow through them. You know, I really believe that. Yes, find yeah. your own way. And I did also like pilgrimage, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's a, almost a sense of urgency when I feel a need to say something. Yeah. And finding one's voice as an author is extremely important. And I think, for, again, going to the, the time, the millennial age we're in, uh, and all of the anxiety. I'm a university professor. We have so many students who are really paralyzed by fear. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Anxiety is epidemic right What are now. they afraid of? What failure. Is fa failure. Failure in their programs or just failure in general in life? Look around. It's life. And the university is so important to them and, and their parents. Yes, and yes. The pressure is enormous. Yeah. And so, I mean, I want to tell mm. them, free yourself from this vice of having to do things in a certain way. And it's very hard to tell a 20-year-old that because they don't dare risk. Writing is risky, mm -hmm. but it's, for me, it's the fate of not speaking yes. my truth yes. is worse. So I, I want um, young people to face the fact that it's hard to speak your truth. Yes. But learn how to write. Yes. And you don't have to show anyone. For I've written so many things I don't want to show anyone. Right. 
and they made me very happy. Yeah. Will never be published. Right, but when I, and I do the same thing. I, I keep my own diaries, and when you look back, you see you're able to understand, looking back, how these experiences are influencing how you think, and you, you understand yourself better through the process of writing it down in that moment. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate what you're saying. And if you can believe, you know, we're down to the last two minutes of our <laughs> time together. Um, there are so many more things I want to talk about, but you touched on this idea that I want to explore just briefly, if we can, of how do we encourage young people people who are in university who are doing what they feel they must be doing what their parents say what society says what is the right thing to do how do we encourage them to listen to their inner voices to be present how do we encourage them to be authentic to who they are and to follow their personal passions yeah can't do it in two minutes I'm I know I can't do it in two minutes I but know. I do want to say if there's one one thought yeah do not squish or squash their beautiful tender souls. I love it. I love it. Because there is something, and I do agree with you, that there is something beautiful in every single one of us. There mm -hmm. is, I do believe, each one of us comes um, to this world with a unique gift, with a unique perspective, and oftentimes it doesn't fit in with what maybe traditional society is all about. And it is it is work to really try to look inwards, to look within yourself, mm -hmm. to try and figure out what is it that you love? What do you love? What is it that you're passionate about? Just because you're good at math doesn't mean you need to go into finance. You yeah. know, it's just, um, yeah, it's don't squash their souls. And maybe that's a message for, for parents as well and for everyone, for educators, for, for all, all of us. us. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, again, last, I have a, one minute left. Um, any final thoughts that you want to leave our, our audience with before, uh, before we say our goodbyes? time well I'd like to say to everyone never stop writing because that was pretty good advice for me yeah never stop writing I love that I think that's that's wonderful advice and never stop reading never stop creating I would add my part to that as well <laughs> thank you so much Leslie thank it's been you, this has been, it's been wonderful having you here on the show and uh, having you share your wisdom and your insights with me so thanks again for coming onto the show and thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the author's journey and we'll catch you on the next one thanks again